podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And welcome to another episode of Red Alert for Anfield Index. So, ladies and gents, we are talking things in August. And what a hell of a month it was, eh, people? There was games, there was players, there was transfers, there was windows closing, windows still open, drama galore. And even as we move into September, it's not finished yet, is it? So... I am as normal, pleased to be joined by Mark Evans. Mark, how are we? Very well, mate, yeah. Enjoying this uh, sunny afternoon in, uh, in Edinburgh, a rare one. Indeed, absolutely. It is a, a sunny afternoon and fingers crossed by the sounds of it, it will be a sunny afternoon for the home game against Villa tomorrow. And, well, we'll see how we're feeling the sunny if after the game may be more important to say. But you know the routine, ladies and gents, as we talk through August, we'll look through the games We'll talk about the players, the performances or not, as the case may be for some. It was a it was a heck of a month in different ways. We'll look at the transfer window. How could we not? It is now slammed shut across Europe. So how we feel we've done and, you know, what we're going to have to talk about, that niggling concern we've got probably like you as well. And then we will cast our eyes ahead to September where, no surprise, I'm sure you know, Liverpool's schedule is rather busy, aside from them, bloody annoying international breaks. But there we go. So, Mark, let's get into it. I mean, we, we've already talked about that that Chelsea game because it kind of tied in at the, the end of the, the last episode that we had. It's two games since then, f- fascinating in different ways. They really are. And maybe interesting in the sense that we can't seem to keep 11 men on the pitch in those. But <laughs> we've got the home win against Bournemouth, the 3-1. And we've got... The 2-1 victory at St. James's Park last weekend. Still buzzing about that, in all honesty, but there we go. (laughs) Very, very different, very different games. No two ways about it, despite having 10 men in both. When you look back, when you reflect on those games, what do you honestly make of them? What a question to throw your way. Grenade launch day. Yeah, two different games. Hard to hard to kind of talk about them as uh, without kind of splitting them up, I guess, because they were just completely different the way they played out, the way we played, the whole setup, and uh, two completely different opponents, sort of quality wise. So the Bournemouth one uh, ultimately ends up quite a routine win, really, despite it not starting that way. Another. It's kind of slack start, which has been uh, the story of uh, our season kind of so far. Uh, Trent making a really poor error for the, well, actually twice, really. We got away with the first one, didn't we? And then another one immediately yeah. after, two minutes later, we end up 1-0 down. 
Yeah, but to be honest, even at that stage, it didn't really doubt us. We went on. We, we've got a hell of a lot of firepower this season. And uh, the forwards went in and did the business, ultimately. Salah, Jota, Diaz, all getting goals. Uh, and despite McAllister's red card, which, you know, obviously has been overturned now, and rightfully so, never, never a red card. Uh, you and I were at that game. I was standing next to you. I was, I was saying immediately, definitely not. Couldn't have been, you know, that was not red. You just get a feel sometimes, you know, when you're in the ground, uh, when something has, just, when the decision is just so wrong. And that one really stood out for me as like, just could not have been a red. I was dead keen after the game, uh, you know, to get the, the replay on that, to just to see like how, how bad or not bad it was. And it, it wasn't ultimately. And thankfully that's been overturned. And uh, yeah, we get the three points from that one. Then on to Newcastle, completely different game. Uh, I didn't think we played badly against Newcastle. I thought I think Newcastle are a genuinely really strong side this season. I think they're better again than they were last year. Like kind of everything about them, they seem fairly well coached. Their their midfield is one of the strongest in the league now, I think. And uh, they were pretty worthy winners had they gone on to win it for the most part. If you can ignore that last sort of 15 minutes. Um, but for us, the thing that really kind of stands out for me is the way we were so sort of resilient, the way we hung in against them after Van Dyke gets sent off, um, which for me was a red, by the way. I know that's been sort of widely uh, debated all over social medias and stuff, but I think he did just get the hand first, didn't he? And he probably was last man. I think you just have to kind of swallow that one. Yeah, once once uh, we went down to 10, that game could easily have... Uh, I'll be honest, my initial thought was this could go two, three, four maybe against us because we just haven't looked solid defensively so far in the season. But something something definitely kind of rose out of them in in the in the moment after after going down to 10 men where they just looked like that that bit between their teeth kind of reminded me of the title winning season a little bit, just that ability to stay in games and kind of hover without any damage going against you, just waiting for kind of that moment where you find 15 minutes of, of dominance or, I mean, it was, wasn't even really dominance in this one. It was just two absolutely phenomenal finishes from Darwin. Really, really kind of lift off feeling moment for Darwin that it was, it was not just how he took the finishes, which were brilliant. It was kind of the way he puffed his chest out after them too in the celebrations, you know, sticking his fingers in his ears, kind of winking at the Newcastle crowd. Just properly loved everything about that. So we come away with a great six points ultimately from uh, from two tricky games. And having taken a point away at Chelsea, I think that has to be seen as a pretty good start to the season all in all. What do you think? Yeah, you can't disagree. What? Whatever way you, you sort of dress it up, when you looked at those fixtures, the two opening away games, Chelsea and Newcastle, those are tough by anyone's standard. I don't care what anyone says. So, yeah. like you said, to be unbeaten and to, uh, to have got that win at St. James's Park, even regardless of the context, that's a, a great result because we know where they are as well. I mean, the, the games have got such similarities in certain ways, but they couldn't be more different. I mean, yeah. 10 men, a Trent error, Every, yeah. You know, it's a Trent error, unfortunately. That's become a, a regular thing. Uh, you know, bailing us out as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Alison do it. You're just doing unreal things. And then 
as you almost said, like the, the strength of the forward line, that's what we'll draw on. And then also, you're right, the, the resilience aspect as well, something that we didn't have last season, let's be honest. And partly that is linked to the midfield rebuild and having that legs, having that energy, that type of thing. But I just, it was a routine win. I think that's fair to say at Bournemouth, even that, you know, the, the 10 men, they didn't look that good Bournemouth, but we were just a bit on edge and shaky. And especially that third one that Jota sort of put in from the, the rebound off the Bosley shot. I thought that was crucial just to steady the nerves a little bit as well. Yeah. The Newcastle game. I thought, yeah, uh, early on, they were they were well on top, you know. They they were winning that midfield battle as we were struggling to get into it, and then obviously the error, the red card. I I did think when I watch it back, it was a red card. I've got to be honest. And literally at the time, I was in the the away end. Obviously, we we're all going mental naturally. But <laughs> yeah, when when you watch it back, I, I couldn't understand it in that regard. And we'll have it took to see such it. a big bit of the ball. That was the bit that, like in the in the first viewing of it, kind of confused it. You know, because he clearly did get the ball. It was just that when you watch it back, he. he clips the guy just before he does that and it's kind of undeniable you know the chain of events it happened that the man was hit first and then the ball so just kind of a frustrating one but you just have to swallow it don't you yeah indeed and I suppose the first few games and I kind of kept counting Chelsea into this along with Brighton I think he got his lineup wrong and his positioning I mean the first two games what I saw I don't really care what anyone else says in a way this gapo in the eight is wasn't working, you know, without a natural DM as well. It just was not working. So I was pleased to see, at least for Newcastle, we switched back to three standard midfielders. And whatever anyone thinks of Endo, people have got to give him a chance that at least he was there in that position. But, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was absolutely crucial. I thought they they hung in there. They showed resilience. They're, they're working hard. And the one thing that's not been said in the reflection of these games is, People have hammered Jurgen Klopp. And I'm going to be honest at times, I feel quite rightly for some of his bizarre decisions, formations of different bits. But the praise should always be as loud as the criticism. And especially against Newcastle, he got his subs spot on. They were the right players at the right time for the rights for the the most difficult situation. You can't argue with that. You look at the impact that Jota, Elliot, Nunes made. There's no two ways about it. So... Definite highs, no doubt about that, but a few things that are just sort of concerning at the back of your mind. I mean, mine is, I've got to be honest, mine is literally just the, obviously, keeping 11 men on the pitch is the, the big thing at the same time. <laughs> helps. Yeah, just that the, there is going to be that feel from what I've seen of the evidence of these first three games. You sometimes feel like the way we go in is going to have to be 3-2. Four, three, mm. five, four—that type of thing. That—that's just my. I don't know if it's the same with you, but that's just my sort of prickling concern at the moment with the way we are. Yeah, I, I mean, there's no doubt that has to be a concern, especially because we didn't actually manage to get any. Well, no, we'll come on to transfers, but we didn't manage to kind of bolster the defence at all, really. Even our defensive midfielder signing—he definitely wasn't top of the list. You know, he's, he's, we've worked our way down quite a few names, I think, before we got to him. Uh, so I, I think like just in personnel wise defensively is always going to be an issue we haven't solved the Trent issue at all he still looks a little bit kind of lax when it comes to defending a little bit kind of disinterested almost which is an awful thing to say of your vice captain but that has 
been our main defensive fault for me in the first three games was him specifically. I know there are tactical issues with it too and you know, various different things you could point at, but I think sometimes it does just come down to individuals and making individual mistakes, you know, and you can't really account for those tactically. And certainly in the Bournemouth game, I mean, I guess even in the Newcastle game, if we're being honest, the, the Gordon goal, those are very specifically individual errors, you know, that you can't, uh, you can't account for. You can't tactically um, defend against. They just can't happen. You know, you just need your players to be focused, to be switched on and not allow these mistakes to keep happening. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think especially that bit because the one thing I kind of, you, you always look at the reaction afterwards that with these two errors, people are going a lot towards, oh, it's, you know, the, the adjustment of the formation. He's not a right back. He's not a midfielder. It's the hybrid. You know, there's a the bit of uncertainty when he's in the middle, that type of thing. Listen, this is a... This is a top-level player with top-level ability. Like, let's not mix yeah. anything here. It's two basic individual errors. Like you said against Bournemouth, they should have been woken up after that one that was ruled out for offside when the Bournemouth yeah. player tapped it into an empty net. You thought, right, okay, wake up now. That's your warning. You've had it. And then literally, and I even saw people like criticising Van Dyke. It's not a bad ball into him. It's just a poor touch where we open his body up and lose his control and the Bournemouth player takes it. That's all it is. And Anthony Gordon, that goal, how does it come from a... It's not like people saying, oh, it's a simple Salah pass and he lets it roll under his foot. That is a... Let's be honest, you know, we need to be clear on this. That's a Sunday league style error, isn't it, type of thing, especially for a player with, with that ability. It's, well, that's it's exactly right. technically he's so strong that like those aren't the those aren't like even the, the kind of lack of awareness errors that you might have expected from him. These are actual technical flaws. You know, he's letting a ball run under your foot is just such a basic for, for a, a technical player on that level. It's you really have to like scratch your head, wondering at what it you know what it is that's making these errors kind of repeat themselves time and again with Trent. Yeah, in, indeed, and they're, they're basic. And I uh, personally, I think it's irrelevant if he's on the right side, the centre of the pitch. At what point should Trent be letting a ball run under his foot? Never. Yeah. It's as simple as that. So I think, yeah, it's. Listen, we we know his talent. We love the player, all that type of things. But there is a big sort of book up a wake-up call and we'll never know this we will never know but you do wonder almost what Jurgen Klopp said to him or not said to him or you know how he's dealt with it type of thing but oh uh, yeah we need to see a, a huge wake-up and try not to be negative because listen we called it a good start we've got a great points total you know we, we banged in goals all that type of thing as well yeah 
This this is a simple question in a way, but I tell you what, and this is pleasing because sometimes we've done these and gone, who's been the best player for a month? And we've struggled to say, no one, we're shit type of thing and avoid and dance around that answer. But this month, there's candidates. Importantly, though, who have you gone for? Yeah, it's, it, I, I took a, quite a while thinking about this one because there are lots of different different kind of things that have gone well. You know, you've had like you've had McAllister playing out of position and really putting in a shift for us as a DM before he kind of got back into his shape at Newcastle. I think Sabozlai is probably my pick. He's been outstanding, really. I mean, flawless almost. I think the resilience we were talking about in the Newcastle game, and I guess even the Bournemouth game with ten men, really felt like he went up a level with with ten men. I think he kind of puffed his chest out and and decided to kind of take the game by the horns, you know, and, and I think he did. I think he ran harder than, than you know, kind of any midfielder I've seen for a long, long time. He, he seems to have like a James Milner sort of engine, but with like a Steven Gerrard running style, if you know what I mean, which is a really cool combo. You know, he's constantly on the go, but just a couple of times he kind of power runs and it, it just looks like a real athlete and, I uh, I think he's he would probably be my pick, but listen, there's there's also like Diaz has had an amazing start. Jota has had an amazing start. You haven't mentioned Darwin yet, who's like stole the show for us there at Newcastle. Um, I thought Van Dyke was actually really good in the first couple of games, despite the the red card. Uh, Allison has been phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. One of the best saves you'll ever see against Newcastle. So uh, when you when you kind of break it down like that, there's there's a lot of things going right, really, isn't there? Yeah, I I absolutely love that we're talking about this, and we could genuinely put up, and I mean I love this, we could put up about seven or eight candidates, and it's almost like we're playing guess who, isn't it? You're like knocking them down for splitting hairs type of thing off the list. Yeah. It really is now. It's a it's a weird one for me, but such a happy one. I mean that. I mean. So Bosley, definitely a candidate and, and been excellent in all three games. There's no two ways about it whatsoever. You know, this boy looks to have real stardust. Can't really think of another way of putting it. Like, say, the energy, the physicality, yeah. the great, oh. the pace, acceleration. Already in the Premier League, we watched him burn people. We watched him dribble past people as well. We've yeah. seen him in... The right side of eight, pushing on, right to, you know, to the byline and beyond having shots. We've also seen him when he's needed to, let's be clear, as a almost a six, you know, when we've gone down to 10 men. He's yep. been so crucial for us as well. So he really does have a star feel about him. There's no two ways about it. The only thing I'm going to say, and this is not diminishing, digging him out in one way, as fans, we love shiny new things, don't we? We always love shiny new things and they go to the top of the list and sometimes the old, as you know it, can sort of drop down. That's the only thing I would say when you're putting this in context and I'm levelling it. That's definitely clear, yeah. It's, it's always in it, new transfers, new players. It, it, and it's natural, completely understandable. And mm-hmm. listen, there's nothing wrong with that. We should be excited by it. Like you said as well, you almost have to discount Darwin despite maybe having the best 17 minutes of the season so far. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Insane. And like the two finishes are world class. There's no, you know, there's no two ways about it. They're unbelievable. But that 17 minutes against 
two games with mainly 10 men and that type of thing. So you, you can't put him in the full conversation. The most bizarre thing is, and I mean this, with all the talk, all the talk and all the bits, people are ignoring how good a start to the season Mo Salah's had still as well. Yeah, Mo I didn't Salah, even mention him there. He didn't make my list. Isn't it? Three games, three goal contributions and a couple of things that people I don't think are fully clocking. He is getting through some shift. You know, with the two games with 10 men, people don't associate it with him because, oh, you know, he doesn't really defend. Nonsense. In the last year, and especially these last few games, he was immense against Newcastle. I was there, you were watching him winning tackles, covering, all that type of thing. Some shift. And the ball for Darwin means he doesn't have to break stride. He doesn't have to take a touch. It's perfectly weighted. It's top class. It's right into his path. So he's a contender, but the one that takes it for me when I, I look back, and I have to be honest, is Alisson. Alisson in all three games, and I mean this sincerely because I watched a little bit back just to sort of, you know, did I think that right? Because it's sometimes tough to remember what happened against Chelsea. Against Chelsea, saved three one-on-ones. Bournemouth, two top-class saves. There was one, I don't know if you remember, when the guy was through and there's one he tipped it round the post at full stretch as well. And against Newcastle, dear Christ, the strength in them wrists and that Almiron volley and, you know, their one-on-ones, the, the way he performed, absolutely unreal. And no one almost likes it when a keeper wins when we're attacking, but it's Alisson for me. I've got to be honest, I can't really go anywhere else. There's, there's real contenders, but the holy goalie's been the man. I think that's totally fair. Really do. Couldn't couldn't argue with that. I uh, I went to Bosley. It's a really tight thing. Alisson would probably have been second for me. But yeah, I mean, the Almiron save in particular, that was a proper showstopper, that it really was. And that's not always what he's known for. You know, he's such an efficient goalie that he often doesn't have to make those worldy saves. So when he does make one, I think it just makes it that bit more special. The one-on-ones are kind of where he his bread and butter, which is a mad thing to say about a goalie, but he's just so fantastic at one-on-ones. Uh, and he, he, like you said in the Chelsea one, he had multiple... He kept us in against Bournemouth for a little while. And then, yeah, I mean, while we were talking about resilience, you know, it wouldn't have looked such a resilient performance if Alisson had let a couple in against Newcastle, which he easily could have. And then we would have just been talking about how, you know, we folded essentially. Um, so those kind of real fine details that make the difference. And in a lot of ways, Alisson was our difference maker in these first three games. I think that's a completely fair way to, to look at it. Yeah, and then the only thing, and it's kind of not related, but it is because it is factual. What I loved as well is he stepped up as a leader. He's, you know, you saw after Newcastle as he was talking, like we don't care what you say about the transfer window. We've got belief. We're united. And then, yeah. what sort of man? What a legend that takes the question in English, translates it to Spanish, even though he speaks Portuguese, to give it back to the interview. Do you know what I mean? Standing yeah. by his teammates there as well, that he does just look every bit kind of the leader, the strength. And probably the biggest thing I could say, if anything tells the story, is when Gordon went clean through, I expected him to save it. It's funny you say that, you know, I had that exact feeling. And it's, like I was saying, that's mad to think of that when it's a proper one-on-one and Gordon had space and time. But Alisson just looked enormous again and he only just kind of slips it through him. You really, I don't think any other team in the world will will have that confidence, you know, when a one-on-one comes on that we get without Alisson because he is just 
like more often than not, he saved one on ones, which is bizarre. It really is. Well, simple as that for me. Whichever we've got some incredible players, but he is the best in this world. And I don't for me, I know it sounds callous, but I don't even think it's a debate. I genuinely do. So yeah, we will God, we've got to enjoy him while we've got him because we'll miss it when we're when he's gone. No two ways. And yeah. We're gonna have to turn to this. And the easier answer is almost Trent, I suppose, in regards to the who's maybe not performed as well as they should have done, or you're looking for more because of the reasons we said. And I, I get that. It's hard to argue any other way. Is there any other player or players that you're looking at and thinking, step it up type of thing? Yes, um, but I'll kind of caveat it with, the, so it's Gakpo, but I also do think there are real sort of mitigating circumstances for Gakpo, obviously, We've had two games with 10 men. He's played twice as an eight where he clearly isn't an eight. And then in the game where he was playing up front, we were down to 10 men for the majority of it. So not an easy way to to come into the season. And we probably owe him thanks for putting himself into midfield, you know, and, and yeah. trying to put a shift in there, you know, and doing his bit, not complaining. Um, but nonetheless, there still have been bits in his performance that I just haven't liked. The the lack of intelligence in the Chelsea game really stuck with me, the way he kept letting the, the midfield kind of run off him, you know, and that was where they were getting all their joy, which you could forgive him for a couple of times because it's not his position, but it was pretty obvious eventually. And I, I just wonder why he wasn't kind of getting that, you know, and seeing the, the danger that Sterling was posing in the hole behind him and James getting off him down that side. So I think Gakpo definitely could have done better. Um It'll be very interesting to see what happens now going forward because Darwin's obviously coming and got those goals. Kind of got a hope that he starts the the, the Villa game uh, tomorrow. What does that mean for Gakpo? Because we've now you know we've got Gravenberch now as well. Jones is almost back. The number eight position is no longer really an option for him. I wouldn't have thought. So uh, yeah, I think he's going to have to buck up his ideas a bit to to go back to where we were when the season kicked off, where we all just expected him to be the number nine. Uh, and then obviously the real one is Trent that you you already touched on there. He's I mean Trent's had a diabolical start to the season really for me. He's been his mentality's been wrong. His quality hasn't really been there. Um, I, I liked bits about. Uh, the, the kind of the way he took on the captaincy in the Newcastle game, I thought there was like some nice moments around that, but ultimately, I don't think they really showed in the performance as much as they did in in the kind of celebrations, you know, in the puffing out your chest. And ultimately, it's kind of the performances that matter for me. And and I think he needs to, he really needs to up it a bit. I'm actually a wee bit worried for him again. I know when we did the pod last month, I was kind of tipping Trent as our be-all and end-all this season, you know, top assist, player of the season, all that sort of stuff. But we seem to have flicked back to this stage kind of before Arsenal last season where he feels like a weakness, not a positive. And that's that's really worrying for a guy of of that ability. It's so weird, isn't it? It either feels like he's on it and when he's on it he's destroying the Premier League you know like he did at the end of last season but yeah. when he's not there because obviously the, the, almost the thing's built around him as some people call it the Trent formation don't they to be yeah, fair it's spot just, on yeah yeah. it just feels like Christ we, we've moved people around we've almost gone square pegs in round holes to fit this for you Trent you know you've got to live up to your end of the bargain type of thing and 100% 
it's so weird, and I mean this at the same time, because those unbelievably poor errors of concentration, we still at times, even in the start of the season, thought some amazing passes, you know, some like decisions, vision, that type of thing, you know, in between the lines, a couple of balls he played. So, you, we, but we knew that. We know the talent he's got. We know his attributes. I mean, I think what will confuse it even more is he's got obviously going to England duty soon and Southgate's named him as a midfielder, hasn't he, in the squad type of thing. So that yeah. fuels the, the debate. I just, I don't think necessarily everything's helping at the moment. I mean, it's a separate opinion, but I think we just jib off this hybrid and go back to 4-3-3. I really do. I'd feel more comfortable, especially with the legs we've got now. But that's a kind of separate point. But but Trent is causing the spotlight to fall on himself at the moment with poor individual errors. If you just you know concentrate more, get it back to basics even at times, it'll disappear. And I, in balance, because imbalance is everything, I do want to give him a bit of credit because people are, oh, he's going to get battered by Gordon. Considering he was on a yellow card, I think he did okay. I don't really see how he could have done better against, because, you know, he's going to go over a touch, any of that type of thing. We know Gordon's a pace merchant. So I think he did okay. And like you said, with the armband, led us quite well in that scenario. No doubts about it. And Gakpo, this is it's an interesting one because mitigation is loaded, like you said. It's not his natural position that when he does play in that that nine, almost the Bobby role, Diaz gets pulled off, doesn't he, as we go down to, to 10 men to bring Gomez on. So I think that's so important because when you play Gakpo and Salah, the other one's got to have pace, haven't they? They've got to go yeah. the other way because Gakpo drops deep. Salah, and, uh, you know, he's, he's not as quick as he used to be. He's still quick, but... He's our, you know, he's our playmaker as well, and he's our main assist. He's our creative force. Let's not change it any other way. So that's understandable. So that's usually why you like to see Nunes going the other way directly, especially at his man if he's got the ball. Or, as we've seen before, Darwin, pace on the last line, that type of thing. So I think you could just see, as soon as we went down to 10 men, Diaz comes off for Gakpo. You're looking and think he's got no one going the other way. You know, when he gets it to, to feet and turns... That that's mitigation. That is mitigation. That's all fair, and it's got to be there. But and I'm saying this honestly, he's got to get better with the back to goal. He sometimes coughs it up for a man his size too easily. I want to see that develop. And like you said, that Chelsea and Bournemouth game at times, just because you normally play the sort of false nine role, whatever you want to call it, that doesn't mean when you're on the left side of the or the left side of eight you can just start charging and pressing. And like you said against Chelsea, for a footballer who we would say is the replacement for Bobby because he's intelligent, he made some brain-dead decisions at times. They just waited for him to press, knocked it round the corner and thought, right, we'll get into one-on-one against Robertson in that regard, you know, with Sterling and, and James quite Yeah, often. and they did, so, time and again. It disappoint me with just game intelligence. It's not about where you want to play, it's what you need to do for the team at times. But... There is a lot of mitigation. It will be interesting, like you said, though, to see against Villa and, and going forward how that works. But we know he's a clock favourite. There's no two ways about it. So he's going to get major game time still. But I'd like to see a book up come September. Yeah, an interesting one. <sighs> Christ, mate, we got seven points, though, out of three tough games. So we move in that regard. And... We're going to have to talk about this because I don't want to be negative when I say this. The transfer window, 
listen, it's short since July. It seems that nothing much has happened. But in August, we got Endo and we got Grav, didn't we, right at the, the last minute. I mean, let's let's try and start on a positive. Let's look at the midfield. Are you happy with that four that have come in? Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're just looking at the players and not thinking about who else we could have got, you know, and just concentrate on the ones that we did get, do, do we like them? I think absolutely we do. I think Sabozlai, I like the way you, you described earlier, a bit of stardust. I think there is genuine stardust there. I think he looks like he could be anything. I think if you told me he was going to be, you know, our midfielder in eight years' time with, you know... 10, 15 assists every single season and five, six goals every single season, I would believe you. I think everything about him so far has looked right. The way he runs is brilliant. He looks technically excellent. I like his character too. I've liked all his interviews. You know, sometimes you just get a wee feel for a guy and I think everything he's been saying uh, is just striking kind of all the right chords with me. So I think he's the he's the big one, I think, obviously the most expensive, but also just the one that's impressed me the most. Really do think we've struck a bit of gold there. Um McAllister, kind of similar to Gakpo in that like he's had to do things that isn't quite natural for him. Um, and I think he's done pretty well all in all. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't uh, kind of hold him up as someone who didn't hold his end of the bargain up kind of thing. I'll, I'll, again, he finally gets back to his position at Newcastle and we go down to 10 men. So he has that mitigating circumstance also. Um, but I still have liked pretty much everything I've seen from him. I'm still pretty certain that's going to be maybe even the bargain of the summer Premier League wide. I, I think, again, he looks like a player who kind of belongs at Liverpool. I, d- I don't think he looks kind of overawed by by playing at Anfield or playing for us. He, I like his sort of tenacity. He really puts himself about. He's good in tight spots. He does lots of things that maybe Genie used to do for us that we've lacked since then. Um, all in all, couldn't really be happier with kind of value for money and what we've got for our money there with McAllister. I think he's a great signing. Endo was next. We haven't had much to see from Endo yet. And again, like the others, very difficult circumstances to come into. Hardly any training or preseason with us. Uh, he gets thrown in in the Bournemouth game late on to kind of shut it up. I thought he did absolutely fine in the Bournemouth game. I didn't think he did much wrong. Um, he, he helped us balance it a little bit. He does look a little bit slow to me, which is maybe a concern. Um, perhaps it's just getting up to the speed of the Premier League. There have been many people in the past who have had to do that over a period of time. Uh, I didn't think he fared as well at Newcastle, but that is a very difficult place to go and play against a very good midfield. Uh, a lot of quick players in the Newcastle team too, which I don't think suits him particularly. Um, I wouldn't write him off at this stage at all. I think there is loads of positives around Endo. He wouldn't have been most people's pick. I think that's fair to say. But I think we have to at least give him, you know, till Christmas before we start, you know, writing obituaries. Because <laughs> I've seen people doing that already, you know, really just writing him off and almost writing our season off because we didn't get a DM that they deem kind of adequate. And I'm really not on that train at all. I, I think there's, again, a really good character in there. I like what he does with the ball. I don't think he's particularly gifted on the ball, but I like the kind of careful controlled nature of it is kind of give it to the guys who will do the damage and our team's absolutely jam-packed full of those so you don't need everybody to be you know 
assisting and scoring. If if you can tackle and give it to Sabaz or you know get it out to Salah or Diaz early, I mean that that will do absolutely fine for a DM. Uh, and then Gravenberch, possibly the most interesting one of the of the summer, really, because. I mean, we've probably already talked about him on two previous monthly pods because he's been getting talked about for that long as a target. I think he might have been the very first name I saw linked with us in the summer. Uh, And it kind of kept coming, going. Loads of other names came before him and it looked like he wasn't going to be, was going to be, wasn't going to be, was going to be. And then we finally kind of looked to have committed to him this week and I guess got the deal over the line Unexpectedly, in the end, after the Perlino one fell through, I kind of worried that that would that, that would be that one over, and it would be too late to get anyone else. But just kind of looking at him as a player, I guess I the the thing I like about it is I think it's one of those that Klopp's kind of talked about in the past of kind of getting to take a chance on somebody. You know, we've been in the unfortunate position where we have to hit every time we sign in the past. And I just feel like with this one, they've taken a punt in that they know the ceiling is so high for him. I think he, I think Klopp likes him anyway. You know, I don't think he thinks it's like a a 50-50 whether this works out. I think he's quite confident that we've got a good player here. But I do think there's just an element of the ceiling is so high and it didn't work for him at Bayern. And I think he just fits the profile of a Klopp midfielder a lot more than people realise. He's a hell of a runner, really physical, quite fast. He's huge as well. He's a monster. He's like 6'3 or something like that. Yeah. Again, from like set plays and, you know, just all these little fine things that you start adding together into the whole package. I think he offers loads. He wasn't. He wasn't really who I wanted, if I'm honest. I was kind of against that one, but I've, I've managed to kind of talk myself into it somehow, just w- with kind of diving deeper into the content around him. Again, I like uh, I've liked all the interviews so far. I liked I, I like the way he kind of holds himself. I think there's a pretty big inner confidence there, as long as there's no uh, attitude problem, which has been kind of hinted at in the past. Then I'm pretty excited to see w- where we go with him. So. All in all, to summarise, like four, four midfielders, we have rebuilt the midfield. We've lost guys that um, were clearly had had their day. Essentially, we've got three young, hungry guys in there, and another experienced one. I'm pretty happy with the midfield rebuild overall. Would I have loved Bellingham and Caicedo? Obviously, of course, I would have. Um, but you know, you can play those games till the cows come home. I think you have to be realistic about the ones we've got, and I, I like what we've got. What, what do you think? Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, there every week after the Premier League match week. 
So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. It's one of them where people say, are are you happy with the four, the midfield element of the rebuild? You know, like there's a part of you that wants to go, fuck yes, that's brilliant. There's a part of me that goes, when I'm honest, yes. You know, like the pause, like there's positive bits, but there's a hesitation. And like there's a bit of what you said pretty much, like there's elements like Zabozlai and McAllister, fuck yes, well happy with them. Love what I've seen so far. They look like, two brilliant signings and even people going oh the release clause that looks worth every penny for Zabozlai at the moment it looks like I say that stardust so and McAllister at 35 million what the hell do you get for 35 million nowadays in the transfer market look at the fees so with that pedigree the way he's performed World Cup winner love it Endo this this is an interesting one because like you said People, one thing that does make me laugh when people put, as like you said, the common thing, oh, he wouldn't have been my first choice. Piss off. You had no idea who the player was till you started Googling him and YouTubing. Like, honestly, the way people are. I didn't either, if I'm honest. I knew, I knew very little of Endo before, uh, before the link came exactly. out. Yeah, everyone gives it that, oh, he wouldn't have been my first choice. Like, he wouldn't have been any choice. You've no idea who this guy is, type of thing. So, <laughs> you've got to put that in context. If people need to be honest about this stuff. Now, when you look and when you do the research, he is kind of like, there's bits you like. You start championing yourself for him, don't you? Like the way he plays, the aerial prowess. Man wears a fucking gum shield, for God's sake. Let's get behind <laughs> the boy. Like, the fee, 20 million or just below, is, let's be honest, that's not even a championship player in the UK market. We've got to be honest about that. Never mind the 30-year-old Japanese captain with Bundesliga experience and that type of thing. So you kind of, I feel we we got what we expected a little bit. You know, he's a, a midfielder that, as you seem into with Klopp, we need you. We need you to tackle and blah, 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 head it because we are offensive. Like you said, he's not brilliant on the ball. He's not bad because the things aren't intrinsically linked, but that's not what he's there for. He's there for head it, block it, work hard, do the ugly stuff and give it to the players. The piano carries, as people are saying, so to speak. So, I think from what I've seen, he's not he's not the quickest as people have levelled against him. What, are we going to start pretending Fabinho was a speed merchant now as well, or Hendo was? You know, like, it's got to be Absolutely very fair, yep. In the same time. So I'm happy with what I'm seeing with that. The, I get the element of, and I understand this, and I subscribe to this, would I have wanted a better DM? Yes. And that kind of leads to the Graven Birch because I know, like you, probably the same was like, right, we need at least one more midfielder. And we were all looking and thinking, I'd love a Decore, you know, from Palace or something like that. You know, another specialist who, you know, we can move people around. We'd have taken that. We said it for weeks, though, especially on transfer pods. There was always a feeling it was Graven Birch or no one even that Klopp, Linders, the coaching staff, the scout, that they love this player. As Mel Reddy said on, you know, one of her tweets that he's been on a list with Liverpool for some time with two or many in Bellingham game changers they call them i.e. if these players can come up and we've got a chance we strike wherever we are whatever we're doing type of thing so it is a punt the raw materials are there and when like you said when you speak to people you're thinking I can get behind this or what they're saying it very much does sound like a a clock midfielder that even if he's not brilliant or on his game for the day however you wish to put it this guy goes box to box this guy runs hard he's physically you know all the attributes of a clock midfielder so there's the raw materials to work with there 
And there's there's a bit of an excitement on a punt, as we know, as there always is. Listen, in a year's time, and I know this is fast-forwarding, nothing would surprise me if, A, we're saying, this kid's got something, this kid's going to got a player, what a fee, what a bargain. It would also not surprise me if, like, Christ, well, Ajax take him back type of thing in a year. You just never know there's that element of a punt. But overall, it's a yes I'm happy with the midfield and that element of the rebuild. However, you use that phrase. I use this phrase. And I think, the you know, when we link it back to a rebuild, for me, it's not even the bare minimum, it's the bar minimum. And the rebuild is incomplete. And I'm going to ask you, because we're going to have to get into this. We don't want to be negative, but we've got to be real. Where are we short in this rebuild? Yeah, so I mean, it, it, I guess I, I'm going to counter what I said a minute ago because I still think we're short in defensive midfield, despite saying we should give Endo a chance. I don't think he is the long term solution. I think he can do a job for us this season, but I think he is probably a stopgap. I think the the reality is they wanted Chuameni, and obviously at one point Caicedo. I think. Klopp kind of knows the importance of that role. And I think the one that he wants to, and I think this is kind of why we maybe didn't go for Dakuri in the end, because I think when it comes time to get that one, he really seems to want to get that one right to me. And I think Endo just presented an opportunity to kind of steady the ship for a year or 18 months until he can get the one that he really wants. So I think we're still short there. I think we're... Definitely short at right back. I mean, we only have one, which is outrageous really going into a season, especially when our one has question marks around whether he is even a freaking right back. Um, And then obviously at centre back, we've got three fairly big crocs alongside Van Dyke. Um, That's got to be a concern. We, We really could have done with another I think because the the fitness record of the of Matip Gomez and Kanate just is a concern plainly, uh, and then there's also the kind of issue that we've been having around kind of left back, where it gets drawn into being kind of more of a three at the back, and they have to kind of tuck a bit. Robertson just so clearly isn't suited to that, and Simakas even less so. So I think we're possibly even short of a kind of left centre back hybridy character. Um, so I, w- I would say potentially as many as three defenders short. Um, probably two if you get, you know, kind of a versatile one in there. Uh, and to be honest, that's probably it. I don't think we're short in midfield at all now. I think we've got kind of eight or nine that I like all of. Thiago obviously still have his, has his um, major injury concerns. But aside from that, with the four that we brought in, you've also got kind of Jones that I expect to play like a fairly big part this season. I think we're fairly set there. And as long as most days we're more than set up top, we've got still maybe the best, you know, kind of front five or throw Doki in if you want, make it six and the best front six maybe on the planet for me. Uh, so, so yeah, I think defensively is the, is clearly the, the area we're lacking. Uh, two, possibly three. Uh, is, is that how you see it? I'll be honest, I, I, I agree with that largely. I probably, if I, I even think you've undersold it there a little bit for certain areas. Like you say, I agree with attack. Listen, if you can't be happy with your attack, football's not for you because we're in the Europa League and look at the six we've got. Like, you know, forget it. The midfield, 
you're right. We probably would have liked different players, so to speak. But again, with the numbers, what we've seen so far, and also that context of the Europa and where we are for this stage, sometimes you have to accept your medicine a little bit, don't you, so to speak. So, I, you know, I can get behind the midfield, definitely. What we have done with the defence or what we have not done with the defence may be better is absolutely criminal for me. And there is, a, I mean, that criminal charge laid at, at all of them. Jurgen Klopp, FS, I know people wonder if I'm going to get into the debate of who things, but it's a collective failing for me. We've not done even the bare minimum in defence. Like we said at the start of the season, we've got Crocs there, people with injury records. We've got Matic coming to the last year, so to speak. I mean, we, let's be honest, we were talking about how much can we get for Matic, you know, with a yeah. year left and Gomez, that type of thing. At least he's homegrown, blah, 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 all that type of thing. And they're still there. Not only are they still there, they're now, especially for tomorrow, absolutely crucial. Let's not yeah. mix our words on this at all. Like, all we've seen with the defence is Nat Phillips go, finally, on the shortest term deal ever to Celtic, and Connor Bradley has picked up a knock. So then you start thinking, if someone has told you this at the end of the window, you'll be like, nah, nah, surely we got Simicass out, someone in, you know, because like you said, Robbo doesn't suit the hybrid. Nope. Surely we got a centre half it, at least one, come on. You know, someone who can play the left and the centre back, you know, role, even, you know, transition into the team, a youngster, as we were told. No. We are relying already, mate, on Matip and Gomez. And it's not trying to dig out players, but the facts speak for themselves over what we've seen for the last season and a half and maybe even longer, the injury records as well. Jurgen Klopp talks as well about the need to be lucky. Nonsense to talk about. Yeah, you need a little bit of luck. I get that at certain times. You can have an injury crisis. But we've left it in a situation where we need luck just to turn out the minimum, don't we? Let's be honest. We're already having to use, and I actually felt a little bit sorry for him as well as excited, Jarrell Kwanzaa is now a serious option. This is a kid who's got all the raw attributes and could well go to the top. It's ex- you know it's exciting that we've got him. But he was playing on loan for Bristol Rovers last season. We're now chucking him in at St. James's Park and he might even be needed at a time tomorrow. You don't know that. I mean, Gomez, who was supposed to be the fourth choice right back and the second choice, sorry, the second choice right back, the fourth choice defender, he's now the first choice because let's pray he doesn't get injured. Like, when you put that all in context, there hasn't been a single bit of a defensive reinforcement. There's been names thrown around all summer. They've all gone quiet. We were even hoping, let's be honest, weren't we, like deadline day, we were looking at, you know, Bellacotch, someone, just a body, someone type of thing. So when we talk about the sure anywhere else, mate, I've got to be honest, I think the owners, Jurgen Klopp, everyone has failed in the defensive side, the recruitment and all we can do is kind of pray it doesn't become too much of a, a thought, you know, with injuries and all that. But I don't know about you. I don't, I'm, I'm praying, but I'm not hopeful, put it that way. Yeah, I mean, hopeful is kind of what you're going to have to be because I even think the, the drop in quality from Van Dyke and Canati down is significant these days. I know Gomez had a really good game at Newcastle, but that hasn't been the story of what we've seen over the last 18 months. Matip too looked to have had a huge decline last season. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, if those two were our centre backs, even just imagining that they stay fit all season, just the two of them, I wouldn't be very confident about where that'll put us, kind of thing. So 
even just on that basis, you're kind of down to two that you're actually credibly happy with, if you know what I mean. And that, you know, that's just not not where you want to be. It is gross negligence from Liverpool. And like you said, Kwanzaa is now probably going to find himself getting full games. I mean, you know, in the next coming month, we've got a Europa League and a League Cup game. Wouldn't be at all surprised if we see him play one or both of those. Because uh, we're, you know, because we're that kind of short in that position. Um, if Trent gets an injury, I, I, I mean, what, what would happen then? Gomez goes to right back. Quance is now a starter. I mean, yeah, we're we're chronically short. We really are. Yeah, and I, I literally just don't understand it at all. And I, I, I generally have the belief this is personal opinion, but it's what it's about, isn't it? That Jurgen Klopp as we've heard him talk about in press conference as well, thinks his defensive options are far better than pretty much 99% of the fan base do. And yeah. we are relying on, you know, th- those knocks. I mean, part of the reason, like you mentioned before, I'd love to see us go back to 4-3-3 because it clearly doesn't suit Andy Robertson at all, that hybrid. It almost negates his strength about bombing forward, you know, what, what he can offer in that regard. You know, it almost takes his uh, assists, which we know him for as well out the loop straight away. So, so that's yeah. part of and, it. And like you said, if Trent's not doing it and the formation's about Trent, then it kind of loses its purpose, doesn't it? It's, it really is a like, right, so we're weakening Robertson. We're weaker defensively for the guy who isn't actually, um, you know, achieving what we expected him to achieve in that position. So what are we actually doing now? Why are we doing it kind of thing? Do you know, I actually, I wouldn't be surprised if we even see Endo come in at centre-back in the coming weeks. We're that kind of short, you know, and maybe get McAllister sitting at the six and Gravenberch gets his chance as an eight. Yeah, it, it does almost feel like already we're feeling like, do you remember the, the 20 season just after we won the league and we had all those injuries and it was almost like, Christ, who's going to play centre-back and who's going to play midfield? We are... Yeah. We are not a million miles away from that. So it just feels like we've not learned a single lesson from that whatsoever. And the other disappointment would be that, as you kind of alluded to it earlier, VVD and Canate looked really good in the first few games of the season. You're thinking, this is solid. And then, I mean, what Jurgen Klopp said in that press conference that, oh, Canate's got the muscle, you know, muscle strain after the second game, the second game of the season. Then he was asked about it and said, oh, well, you know, it didn't help having to play like 30-odd minutes with 10 men. It's the second game of the season, for God's sake, and he's getting a muscle strain. And his replacement, Joel Matip, is taken off at Newcastle because he's looking tired after 70 minutes. Do you know what I mean? That's his first minutes of the season, for God's sake. We're not like 40 games in, so... Yeah, you, you try not to be disaster class type of thing, but yeah, it's well, we're just gonna have to see and roll with it and kind of pray a bit at times. That's I hope that Gomez kind of keeps that form up because it did look particularly good. I thought Gomez that's one of the best performances we've seen from Gomez in some time. The Newcastle one, it would not hurt whatsoever of all the people that we're talking about if a uh, a Joe Gomez, never, never that I'm expecting to get back to what he was in title winning season, but just if you got back to like three quarters of that, that yeah. would not hurt whatsoever at the current moment in time. It really wouldn't, you know, big thing for us, but we shall have to see. And one discussion we've got to have, mate, it's everyone's talking about it. So we don't have to go too much into it. Just probably the key thoughts, the Salah discussion, because we know where we are with this at the moment that, the, the PIF back clubs, Al Ittihad, as it were, don't seem like they're going to go away until 
until that window closes. Liverpool have been quite clear. Jurgen Klopp's been quite clear where his stance is. So only one can be right. One of them's right, isn't there? People expect it to, you know, to go for it to be, a, you know, eventually put enough on the table. Some people are thinking, you know, whatever happens, Liverpool will be crazy to sell. It's not going to happen. Probably a question a bit different than people are talking. What's your gut honestly telling you at this stage? Oh, it really is a hard one. It's, uh, I spent literally all day yesterday glued to it. Just could not think of anything else. It's so, uh, it's, it's so important. It's so huge. And I actually went through the motions myself of like, you know, the, the instinct is don't sell him no matter what. You know, he's just so invaluable. He, he's probably the best player Liverpool have had in my life, I think. I mean, I loved Gerrard kind of endlessly, but if you look at Salah's kind of year-on-year numbers, they're just phenomenal. I mean, really, really phenomenal. We won't see the like of that again quickly. I mean, we really won't. He's unbelievably good, and he's still doing it. He was in the 40s last season for goals and assists again. I think selling him at this stage is selling our season, you know, down the toilet to a degree. I desperately don't want him to go. But then on the flip side, you start seeing those numbers. You know, it starts at 100, 118, 150. And then even last night, 200 being quoted. And you do start to think, God, you know, a team like us that can't spend, could we do kind of the Coutinho again and just get like two or three critical new signings that kind of breathe a new era in because ultimately like Salah is aging he's 31 it's going to happen eventually whether it's this season next season or even just that his his level of performance declines or you know it's coming kind of thing I just don't think I'm ready for it to come yet not for any money you know and uh, I think kind of to go back to the question I guess of gut feeling what, what do I think I think I, my gut says, and you and I have talked about this a lot, and I'm, I'm not sure we agree on it, but I think my gut says that he's going to go because I just get the feeling that they have made him or want to make him, I mean, it's not I get a feeling they have, they want to make him the poster boy of, of, the, of, of their league. And I think it's bigger than that too, though. It's, it's you know, I won't go too deep into kind of, the religious or cultural kind of meaning behind it all, but I think they they really see Salah as kind of the face, the jewel of the of the kind of the Arab world, I guess, and and a chance to really have him lead the charge for the World Cup, and you know, so many things that it just fits for them. He fits perfectly, and he's kind of the only one in the entire footballing world that does to that degree, in my opinion. So if you, if you kind of put yourself in their mindset where money is literally no object, and this is the guy that ticks all of the boxes, I just don't know where they will stop. And I know that Liverpool have a number that would be accepted. You know, they are a business. We We aren't a bottomless pit. If 300, for example, was offered, there's just no way Liverpool could turn that down. So with all those things in mind, my gut just says that they're going to do it. They're going to come and kind of take them. And we already know Salah has had his head turned, really, because he's essentially being offered more money than any sports person has ever been offered in any contract ever. I mean, he'd be 
mad to to kind of not not have his head turned by that, and clearly he has. Um, so yeah, my my gut says that we lose him. Unfortunately, what do you think? I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Well, just before we go to what I think, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening at this stage of the pod, that was Mark Evans confirming that he believes Mo Salah will leave Liverpool. So if you want to boo, call names, or ideally if you want to DM me and I'll give you his address to send things through in the letterbox, then we'll happily do that. Don't worry at all. So I will go the opposite. I genuinely, my gut tells me he stays. Now, please, I'm not saying this with like 100% confidence because I think you'd be a fool in the current environment, especially from what you've said. There is a number. I know people are saying it's, it's the easy club line and it's the right club line. You know, he's not for sale and all this. There is a number. Like you said, if three, and we'll make you waking up with speculating, but 300 million comes on the table. Even us as fans are going, hold on, and we're not going to consider this, that what we can do with 300 million. I know the short term, et cetera, but 300 million. The other problem is, we probably, you know, we're going to a different debate. They won't give us to spend, would they, type of thing. Well, that's a different discussion for another day, type of thing. But Liverpool have been clear. There's no time, there's no way you can get a replacement. So you'd hobble on till January and then probably everyone knows we're loaded. So everyone's prices jack up in that time as well. Also, if Salah goes, we do not have a replacement on the right side. It's kind of sad that we'd have to maybe change the formation, put someone unnatural in there, all those types of things. If he goes, you move for me from becoming... I'm pretty confident we get top four at this point. I don't know about you, but I would say, based on what I've seen, I'm quite confident we get it. If he goes, we are we move to me to outsiders for the top four. Now, if you want to play the finance game as well, as a few reporters have said, based on the expansion for the Champions League and the new format next season, estimates are that it's worth 70 to 75 million minimum per team. So if you don't get Champions League, you've just wiped off 75 million from that, whatever it is fee that you get for him. So that's the first gamble. The second thing is, what are you going to do with 200 million? Stick it in an ISA? Clubs will know you've got it. It's not that straightforward to replace as well. As we know, there's no time. I think as well, and this this is my assumption, it doesn't mean it's right by any means. This feels like now it's the one foot out the door for Salah, as in 
will win the final 12 months. And if they come back, and I would do the deal right now, by the way, if someone says, he doesn't go now, but we'll give you 125 or something like that for him in a year's time, I would do it in a heartbeat. I really would. A final year of Mo Salah could make all the difference in this era of Jurgen Klopp between trophies or not. And I mean that seriously because it's about trophies, isn't it? It's not about having loads of money and transfers. It's about trophies at the end of the day. So my gut tells me when you stack all those chips up, he stays. Do I say that with 100% certainty? No, I would be an absolute idiot. But that's where my gut sits. And Christ, I'm praying I'm right. And you are wrong come yeah. the end of the Saudi window. So we will have Let's to hope we're watching them score tomorrow right, right there in front of us. Yeah, exactly that. But as it stands, and every day that goes on, I think the chances lessen realistically. But we will have to see. One of us will be right or wrong. And... People always put a number on this. You don't have to put a number. You can, it might be for context. It's easier to give it a score out of 10. But your overall rating of the window, how do you see it overall? Yeah, it, there's, there's a lot to factor in with that, you know, because there's a lot of sales, a lot of guys in, a lot of ones we missed. Um, that You know, I, I really had my heart set on Bellingham, as a lot of people did. Uh, the Caicedo kind of fiasco, the Lavia fiasco, um, lots of different things, all the different things we've said about the guys who came in, all the different things we've said about the guys who didn't come in, the positions that we haven't filled, a lot to kind of take in there. I wouldn't want to be too negative about the whole thing, I don't think, because I do like the guys we brought in. And like you said a minute ago, I do actually fancy us for top four, the way the way we are right now, if most days. Um, and I like a lot of a lot of the kind of hunger that looks to have been put back in the team. I think, yeah, the, the kind of heart had fallen out of it in a way last season, and I think we have done that. And if there was one thing we had to do for the season, it was that not not just on a you know who we're bringing in, which individuals we had to kind of put the heart back in the center of the team, the legs back in it, give it an engine. And I think we've achieved that. We definitely have not done enough there's lots of things we should have done but on balance I think I wouldn't be able to give it less than a six out of ten because I do like what we did in midfield I wouldn't be comfy giving it a seven either because we we haven't done enough so I think I fall somewhere around six it's crazy isn't it I I almost give it a frustrated seven. And like you said, there's a, there is a lot to be positive about the way the new boys look and the way they've done. And we, we're not going to rehash all the midfield stuff that we, we've talked about. And you know about my thoughts on defence. I was pretty clear on that. The reason I say a frustrated seven is when we make transfers, we're good at them, aren't we? We usually get the right players in. We get good players in traditionally. And like, I know people want to get into all this Klopp, Edwards, Ward, Schmacker and all that stuff. And I get that, but that's a discussion for another day. When we make transfers, we can all pretty much say we like what we've seen this summer. Even Gravenberch, bit of a pun. Endo, you know, would probably get what you say on the tin type of thing. That's the worst you can level. But we, we like the look of the other two very much so. Yeah. So what disappoints you is when you do it, which isn't enough, you do good transfers, Liverpool. So why haven't you done more? And why, oh, why 
have we when we needed a rebuild have we spent so little compared to other teams it's on a shoestring again isn't it in comparison I know people are going to be shouting that oh you know 130 million or whatever it is that we spent but look who we sent out look at the wages we dropped as well it's on a shoestring against other teams it really is so it's a seven because there's positives and you've got to focus on the positives now the window started and it's been a good start to the season but it's a frustrated seven and it's not I don't even think it's the bare minimum in some parts for me but yeah we'll see and speaking of things we we look at and we predict speaking of something that is definitely incomplete and is pretty useless our predictions mate Christ can you even remember all the useless predictions we've made during this it's even it's easier to talk about what we got right isn't it throughout this period rather than anything else but Go on, be honest. Don't lie. Don't mince your words. How would you say you've done against your prediction? I've got some thoughts. Don't worry. <laughs> I don't think uh, on transfers, I'm not sure I got any right. <laughs> I think uh, I almost had the Lavia one, didn't I? But that one slipped away. I had Mount in the early one where you had uh, McAllister, so you won that one. Uh, and I think we both originally did have Gravenberg somewhere in our in our notes, but uh, I'm not sure he went into like my final my final kind of three. So yeah, another horror show. Not an easy game predicting transfers, but uh, won't won't stop us. We go again. And one thing that maybe is pleasing in a way, it's been the death of the ITK for the summers, hasn't it? Realistically, yeah, with yeah. all the moves that have and haven't happened and like all you have to do is when Open ITK was to, to chirp back not that this is trying to attack don't get me wrong but Wataro Endo they didn't even know who he was let's be honest type of thing Gravenberch like you said is maybe I love how people were crowing about him like they always said him but yeah that a lot of people have thrown 8,000 names and it felt like it was hokey-cokey with him, wasn't it? It was on, then it was off, then it was on, then it was off. We did, you know, we'd given it up and then we got the whiff late on and we struck type of thing, as we said. So that's that. And yeah, mate, to be honest, I'm not really taking too much joy from McAllister because it probably gives me a, a correct percentage of about 2% against your zero <laughs> in the nice system. It's pretty hollow on the transfers. So. A win's a win, Dave, a win's a win however it comes in whatever method so yeah I will take it by the thinnest margins but there you go and we should end we always look ahead to the the next month I mean Christ we're in September tomorrow the Villa game starts and weirdly considering there's an international break for quite a while it's a packed schedule we move away from the one a week don't we so we come back to the early kickoff against Wolves away Christ an early kickoff I even should have just saying that then we start the Europa games, don't we? And the trip to Stagdu locations through away in Austria at last. <laughs> then we've got West Ham at home, Leicester in the Carabao. That comes into the equation, doesn't it? And yep. what looks like the tough Spurs away. And I'm saying tough because they've started well, but you never know where anyone will be come the end of September. There's a lot of games and a lot of things happen. I mean, when you look at those games on paper and what we're seeing now, what are your honest thoughts on those? Yeah, I'm, uh, I mean, I'm ultimately looking forward to the month. It's, uh, it's nice to have a kind of packed schedule again. It's been a while since we've had a month with, uh, what is it, six, seven games? One, two, three, four, five, six games coming up in the month. It's been a while since we've had one like that. Um, looking forward to watching those. I think there's a lot of winnable ones on there, which is cool. 
I like that the European games are coming back. Um, I think the European one and the Leicester one in the League Cup, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing a bit more of the likes of uh, Ben Doak and maybe Bajetic getting like proper minutes again and maybe Kwanzaa, guys like that. I'm uh, excited about that. The league games, I think there's a few pretty tough ones in there. West Ham are looking pr- more capable than they have done in years gone by. Villa obviously are a particularly hard game and Spurs look as strong as Spurs as we've had for three or four years, I would say. Um, Wolves probably the only one that on paper looks a nailed on win, but then like you said, it's an away one and it's an early door kickoff, which notoriously are difficult for us. Um, so yeah, exciting month. I like uh, I like the look of it. I'm, you and I are off to Anfield tomorrow. Particularly looking forward to that. Nice sunny day down at Anfield. Uh, Villa's always quite an exciting one. I think uh, could be uh, could be goals in it if uh, if our if our games so far have been anything to go by. Hopefully, we're watching Mo Salah there tomorrow. Yeah, it's a uh, it's an interesting one. I mean, I I've got real excitement with some of these. Like you say, I'm maybe a bit to different to other people. I am intrigued to see the last and the Leicester one because, like you said, Quanser Doke, you know those kids. Let's see them. You know how they get on and step up. There's a little bit of excitement for that, and they also feel like not as pressurized. You know what I mean? If we went out the Carabao Cup. We don't want it, but is it a disaster? Nah, that would be too strong type of thing. And then I also look and think in the month there's winnable games. It's the bookends, as I would say, that look the toughest, if that makes sense. Villa are lying. They've got some good players. They've got some real threats like DRB and Watkins. And also that game tomorrow before the international break defines how good the start of the season is, doesn't it? Because... If we win that and get, I've got 10 out of 12 from that opening four, that looks a brilliant start to me. And I mean that. I wouldn't have expected that. If we draw, it's eight. And you're thinking, that's probably what I've expected. But there's that little sense of disappointment because you probably thought we'd have drawn at Newcastle and won at home against Villa, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. That just takes a shine off it in that regard. And obviously, I'm not even going to talk about what could be a, a bad result tomorrow, what that would mean. So it's that bookend of Villa at home and the other bookend of Spurs away looks almost the hardest in one, you know, at the end of the month. It'll be fascinating to see how Spurs have got on and they've made a few signings and people will talk about what they've lost, but Spurs haven't got European football, have they, because of yeah. where they finished. So that that plays a big part in recharging the batteries as we know they won't be into the, the hard schedule like the other big boys are. So that is the toughest two for me. I'm, I'm excited about a few. And like you said, it's it's the typical Liverpool, isn't it? That maybe if it was Chelsea, City, United, I think your last season would be more confident, wouldn't he? But now we've got a, a little bit, the dross are in the mix, aren't they? Like Wolves and that, that's the one I'm thinking, Christ, it's Wolves. Look at all the problems they've had. But it's that early Saturday kickoff. And we know how we do or don't fare in those, shall we say. So there's a little bit of nerves, but, on paper, it should be a good month. And we'll talk about players afterwards, but if I asked you to predict them, games-wise results, where are you going? I'm going pretty strong. I think we'll we'll win five of the six. I think we'll potentially draw at Spurs, but I expect us to go and win every other one. I think Villa, as you said, is the other toughest one on paper, but 
when we start record at Anfield, speaks for itself. We're always, um, you know, competitive at very least there. Uh, I, I still think we will beat Villa tomorrow. And yeah, I think we'll, I think we'll win five of the six. I really do. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd take that. I'm not going to lie. If you offered me right now, regardless of what happens, you know, win five of the six and you take a point at Spurs, I would. I would absolutely snap your, your hand off for that in regards to the, the other results. I I don't know. I'm a bit like swithered a bit with this. I think my gut's telling me that Villa are going to get a point tomorrow, which I hate. And yet, I also think we'll win all the rest. So I'm like you. I think it goes five out of six. But I think it's a uh, Villa where we. I, we I had those thoughts about Villa too. You know, especially because of our defence tomorrow. But um, the the thing I always just like bring myself back to is like you know we're talking about Diaby and Watkins and these sort of guys, and they are good. They're they're a huge threat. But I mean, what are they thinking? They're going up against Diaz and Salah and Sabozlai and. Maybe a firing Nunes or Gakpo, whichever one it is. Jota could come on. I mean, we we are far more stacked than they are, you know. And it's at Anfield. We sh- we should we should win it, really, shouldn't we? Let's let's be honest. Yeah, absolutely. That, and that is the the expectation. But yeah, we know how expectations sometimes work. So we will have to see. And listen, if, out of anything, and it probably won't be popular to say, I take a losses in. The, the cup games to win all the league games I really would but oh yeah for sure yeah for sure at this stage I suppose player wise moving into September we kind of talked about who's been good who are you looking or who do you expect to shine and who do you want to think see really book up their ideas as it were or really even just go up a level in that regard it, the, the two the two for shining uh for me, are, are Darwin and Sabozlai. Sabozlai, just really to continue, you know, I just want to see him keep flourishing. Really enjoyed what I've seen so far. No, no notes of complaint, like just keep it going. Fantastic. But Darwin's the kind of exciting one for me because he, no matter how big a fan you are of Darwin, and a lot of people really are, kind of almost unjustly for me because he hasn't actually done it. And I get why they are because I see the the undoubted potential in him. But I think we're arriving at the, well, let's see it time kind of thing. You know, it's it, it, he's not new anymore and we're starting to get into this season. He's had a long time now to kind of bed in. And I, I just thought there was something in that Newcastle performance and something in the two goals, the quality of them. I mean, absolute world-class quality in those finishes. Even the, the second one, you touched on it earlier about the Salah ball and how beautiful it was, but th- there was something in the way Darwin kind of danced around it. He let it run over his left side, you know, to get it onto his right. He kind of ran round it and uh, then just tucked it away so convincingly. I, I don't know. For, I've always been a sceptic, I guess, of Darwin, and there was something in that that really kind of got me, you know, kind of pulled me back into the, all right, let's see it. I, you know, I want you to play against Villa. I want to see it. Let's go and do it. So Darwin for me is is the the big hope for the month. And actually Ben Doak, I'm looking forward to seeing him if we do in the in the two games we touched on before, the Europa and the, the League Cup. As a Scotsman myself, I have very high hopes with the, the Euros just over the hill. And then I guess the other question was improvements or or who's to buck up their ideas and we've we've well covered it. It's it's trying, isn't it? We he simply must do better. 
Yeah, I think that that one pretty much covers it in that regard for me. And Spook cleared off when I said, you know, in regards to what I'd like to see, etc. I am the same. I would love Darwin to really shine for this next month and almost force his way into the starting lineup. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Out of, you know, all the forwards, there's a feeling he's the fifth choice. But I think, as you saw with those two finishers, which were world-class, like you said, he is the one that you feel could really go up to that top level, isn't he? You know, the others are all good and, you know, really impressive at times. But he is the one with the stardust, you think, if he could just unlock it in the right way. Also, I would love to see, and this isn't a dig at him in any way, because I love this player. I absolutely adore him. You know, he's my probably my favourite player, push comes to shove. I would love to see in this next month the reliance on Mo Salah dwindle. I really would. I would see think that would be almost a, a bit of reassurance in a way. And what I mean by that is not saying Mo doesn't score, nothing like that. Please don't interpret this the wrong way, people. But you know, if Diaz started to bag more regularly like he is now, Darwin starts getting on the short score sheet, Jota chips in, even Gakpo gets on. There then becomes a, a world when you're looking and thinking, we don't want to lose Mo Salah, but it doesn't look as bad as it did, if that makes sense. And I do think out of all of them, you know, who's got that potential to really step in and become the 20-plus scorer? Now, when you replace Mo Salah, you probably have to replace him in the aggregate. It will take a couple of players, you know, because it's that big. And I, I get that, changing the team formation, whatever that may be. But as it stands now, Darman will be the one I think could really sort of step forward, maybe Diaz as well, to become 20, 20 plus and really take that leap. So from a what's best for Liverpool perspective, Mo Salah just almost, not dwindling, I don't know what the right phrase is, but not being as reliant on him. And Darwin's the one I would love to see. It's going to be hard to rely on him in there in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, indeed type of thing. And it would be good to see, be good to see, it would be good to see like the others stepping up and then thinking, okay, it's not as big a loss. That, yeah. that is what you want to see. I do agree as well that in pure numbers terms, Darwin is probably the only one that even threatens to to kind of get up there and I guess not replace, but certainly lift the load, if you will. Exactly that. And then, then if you can get that, that one that carries the load, as it were, say it is Darwin, you're then looking for your others to chip in with the the 15 to 10 and round the numbers out on you as you get more goals from midfield as well. So, yeah, spookily enough, we both have high hopes for Darwin Nunes this month. But, ladies and gents, we've pretty much, pretty much, as far as I'm aware, covered anything and everything we could for the month of August. So the only final thing that it leads me to say, Mark, is anything else you think is worth mentioning with September coming up or that we've not covered at all? No, I mean, I guess it's going to be all eyes on on the Salah thing this week. That's going to be a huge one up till the window closes, I think, on Thursday, is it, in uh, in Saudi Arabia? So there'll be a lot of focus on that. We've we've kind of covered that pretty well. Um, yeah, just looking forward to the games, all all the all the things we touched on, the young players, a lot of winnable looking league games. Bring it on, really. Yeah, absolutely. That's the right thing to say. Bring it on. Let's see what September brings us and takes us. And ladies and gents, that was another red alert for Anfield Index. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. 
There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.